Welcome to the Make That Money Honey podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Joe, and each week I will be bringing you a combination of interviews and solo episodes with industry leaders in finance, entrepreneurship, and women in business. As a former certified financial planner turned financial coach and entrepreneur, I will be sharing my knowledge on how to have better conversations about money within your marriage, relationships, and family dynamics. I will also be teaching fundamental financial literacy about all of the topics that you wish you learned in school. This podcast will get you to think outside the box, create more abundance in your life, and improve your money mindset. So make sure to follow and tune in weekly, and it would mean the world to me if you shared these episodes with a friend and left me a five-star review. Welcome back for another episode of the Make That Money Honey podcast. I have the absolute pleasure of introducing Joel Stevenson, who is the CEO of Yesware, a leader in sales productivity software who was just acquired by Vendasta this month. Prior to Yesware, Joel was the GM and founder of Wayfair's B2B division, which he grew to several hundred million in revenue. Before joining Wayfair, Joel held a variety of sales and marketing roles at Ariba, Innovis and Verizon, and was a consultant at ZS Associates. Joel earned an MBA from the Yale School of Management, a BS in Business Administration from the University of Illinois, and studied Chinese at Harvard Beijing Academy. He lives in Massachusetts with his wife and four children. Welcome to the show today, Joel. What an impressive bio you have. Yeah, uh, just sort of listening to it, I sort of feel like maybe I should cut it down a little bit, but... (laughs) No, that was that was the perfect length. No, it gives us a really good taste into your background and your wealth of expertise in the sales market, or sorry, sales industry. So uh, before we jump in, I just want to know a little bit about your background and how you started Yesware. Obviously, you came from a big corporate sales uh, history. So how did you end up starting your own your own software business? Yeah, I actually, um, I came in after the business was running for a little while, um, about five. So the company is, is about 11 years old now. I came in about five years ago. And um, I sometimes joke that I only joined companies at Rhyme um, because it's like, it was at Wayfair before and now Yesware. And so you may, you may even hear me confuse those two. But the, like the way that it came about was, we had a great run at Wayfair. It was there from pretty early days all the way through the IPO and was able to do a bunch of interesting work there. Um, and I'm still friendly with a lot of the people there. But what ended up, it just ended up getting a little bit too big for me. And I think I, I just found that I enjoy sort of the earlier stage a little bit more than I enjoy the you know, the big, you know, multi-thousand person uh, company, maybe 17 or 18,000 people. It's it's a big company. Um, and so I just decided that it was sort of time for me to, to look into something a little bit earlier stage. And we happen to have um, an investor and a board member in common between uh, Wayfair and Yesware, um, a company called Battery Ventures, this guy near Jagawal. Um, and so he, he, he introduced me to the Yesware and we got to know them a little bit. And it, for me, it was interesting because a lot of the way that we grew the Wayfair sales organization so quickly was we spent a lot of time and energy on applying technology to improve sales productivity, which is effectively what Yesware does. And so the ability to go from sort of a buyer of that tech to a seller of that tech um, was pretty interesting. That's really cool. And when you talk about productivity software. Can you explain a little bit about 
what that means and maybe give an example of how that would benefit the buyer? Yeah. So uh, a lot of times what happens in, in sales is, you know, you're, you're always kind of trying to do more with less and ideally you're, you know, spend you're sort of getting the maximum amount of reach as you can in the minimum amount of time. But uh, one of the first things that you run into when you start to, to ramp up your, your individual or, or your team sales activities, you start to hit some walls where you're wasting time and you don't have enough time to maybe prepare for a call the right way or um, reach the same amount of people that you want to reach. And so usually productivity starts from a time saving aspect, which is, okay, well, how can I reach more people in less time? Um, you know, can I put together a series of communications that still allows me to customize it, but I don't have to kind of rewrite the things that I'm going to write all the time anyway. And can I automatically respond to people, can I be notified about, you know, when people are reading my emails or when, when people are engaged. So it, it sort of starts there with time savings. And then as you start to sort of go down the productivity ladder, what you, what you then start to think about is, okay, well, now I should test, does this way of following up work better than that way of following up? Or, you know, if does this series of communications work better than that series of communications? Uh, if, you know, is a note with this sort of subject line work better than a note with that sort of subject line? It's similar to, you know, what a, what a, a marketer would, would do. Um, and so that is sort of then becomes sort of the next step. And then to the extent that you're part of the sales team, you know, a lot of times what ends up happening is you've got a whole team that's doing those activities. And so if one person figures out, oh, actually, this is a much better way to get somebody from uh, the discovery phase to the demo phase, then that can be shared across the whole team and everybody can, can generate better productivity. That's awesome. And so, yeah, and I can see, I was just, as you were speaking, I, I was thinking about, you know, when I'm reaching out to people on LinkedIn or making these connections about, uh, the, a lot of it is the same information that you're providing people and, and call it templates or call it some sort of an efficiency thing that, um, you want to improve that process. What, what you really said there was about the subject line for an email, for example, I, I know that that is such an important thing. And do you guys have sort of like an algorithm or how does it work that the software becomes smarter and can pick up on these things? Yeah, we um, what we do is uh, every now and then we'll do a study of when we see about a billion sales interactions a year, and you know about every year we'll sort of do a study that sort of looks at what's working and what's not working, generally speaking, and um, we'll, we'll normally write a report on that. But then also we have a, a little tool inside of Yes, we're called Response Insights, and we sort of look at some you know sort of basic features of your email to say like how long is the subject line the appropriate length you know is your reading level appropriate if you ask a question like that type of stuff and it gives you mm -hmm. you know it'll it'll sort of point you in a rough direction about you know at least in aggregate what tends to work um i think for everybody you know every you, the selling processes can be very different who you're selling into can be very different so it's hard to generalize too much on this but you know yeah. we're sort of looking at what's working at a macro level and then trying to uh, trying to bring that to folks. Amazing. So that's obviously at a macro level, as you mentioned. Let's talk about entrepreneurs for a minute, because as as we were discussing before we started recording, um, there's a lot of people out there that are starting businesses, whether it's bricks and mortar, online services, you know, starting their own thing. And sales seems to be one area that is like this Pandora's box of information that you know you can learn from different sales coaches or you can read sales books and there's some things that work for some industries 
Do you find that there's any one particular piece of information that is important regardless of industry or regardless of business type when it comes to sales? One sort of golden nugget? You know, there's a, I suppose there's a, there's a few, I think the, I mean, I think a lot about entrepreneurs and in many entrepreneurs, I think, dislike the selling process in general. I mean, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's, you know, you're sort of putting yourself out there. Maybe isn't the most natural thing. Like what you really want to do is get people to use this awesome thing that you've invented or built or, you know, you're selling yourself as a service, you know, whatever it ends up um, being. And so, you know, a lot of times I think people uh, have a lot of resistance to the selling process um, in in that sense. And the selling process inherently involves a lot of rejection, usually. I mean, maybe sometimes you yeah. get to a place like you don't get that. But, you know, for, for, you know, if you look at, you know, these business to business sales process or sales funnels these days, like, you know, if you go from sort of your, the top of your list where you're just, you've got, you know, hey, here's a hundred people that might be interested in my service to the person that buys your service, you know, if you're getting single digit percentages of that yield, you're like you're doing pretty well. And so at some point you're going to hear, you know, 98 no's for every yes or, you know, mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And that, that can just be very difficult for people. Um, and so I think that the biggest thing about uh, selling and there's a, a Jeremy Siegel, I think, did some research on this um, in a book about positivity is like one of the strongest indicators of sales success is actually positive mental attitude and the ability mm-hmm. to sort of keep going and the, this ability to view, um, you know, rejections as, as one step closer to, to success, I think is a, is a huge part of it. Um, you know, and then, I mean, there, there are some other aspects. I mean, there's sort of like, you have to have a certain level of activity. Um, you know, it, sales is very much of an output game typically. Um, and so, you know, sort of making sure that the, like, you're putting enough into the top of the funnel to make sure that it trickles down to the bottom of the funnel. But I find, you know, for most, especially for entrepreneurs, even though they're like, um, uh, my executive coach sometimes refers to certain entrepreneurs as pathologically optimistic. Um, it can be hard in a, in a selling process. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head and, and I forgot about that part of the sales process because I, I remember learning about that very early on in my entrepreneurship journey that, when it comes to the rejections, it really is a ratio of just strictly a numbers game. And I think a lot of people tend to uh, quit being an, an entrepreneur or a business owner because they're just not used to that level of rejection, right? When they come from the corporate world, they might have warm or hot leads that their business is handing to them or existing inactive clients that they're just trying to reactivate. So it can be a lot easier. Whereas if you're putting yourself out there to a completely cold market, and all of a sudden, you're reaching out in whatever way it is, your ratio of conversions is going to be a lot lower, right? It might like, as you said, it might be 100 to two, or, you know, 10 to one or whatever, the whatever it is. And, um, and I remember when I first started, it was about, I had a network marketing business that did very well. And when I first started, I was in that for about four years. And when I was in in the beginning of that, I remember getting on all these calls and all these presentations and, and it was like, no one was signing up. And then I'd get one friend. And as you refine your skills and your communication, and you can make it more about the customer and the outcome and the solution you end up 
you know, converting your conversion rate to maybe one in three or one in four, depending on how good you are at articulating that. So I think the rejection process is, as you mentioned, all part of the process and, and really what differentiates the successful from the, from the unsuccessful, right. if you will. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like, you know, you might hear somebody say, well, like, I don't like selling, but I think entrepreneurs in general are pretty curious people. And the reason you started, you know, your product or service is because like you think that there's something missing in the world that, that you can provide. And so when you get actually an entrepreneur into the converse, into a conversation with a potential buyer and they're asking good questions and they're trying to problem solve, like, I think most entrepreneurs actually love that. Uh, might be, you know, for a lot of them, the favorite part of the job. And so like, what you really don't like doing is prospecting. And you just kind of have to get comfortable (laughs) with the fact that, especially in the early days, like you probably can't afford a marketing team and a sales team to do a lot of that stuff for you. And you probably have to figure out how the whole sales process is going to work anyway, before you could hand it off to somebody. And so it's just, you just have to kind of recognize it as, um, you know, whether you like it or you don't like it, it's like, that's a a bit of a rite of passage to get to the things that you ultimately want to do. Yes. And you know, what's so funny that you said that I, I heard an analogy the other day while I was on a sales call and it was about how people want to lose weight, right? And they hire the personal trainer, they start the meal plan, they get all the things in line. But at the end of the day, it's like showing up to the gym and doing the hard work that is going to get the results. There's no other easier way to, to get it done. And I think that that's such a great analogy when it comes to doing business because we can have all the tools in our belt, but at the end of the day, physically getting out there and doing the actions to reaching out to prospects, figuring out trial and error, does this work, does that work, um, is, is a huge part of the you know, journey into, into becoming a good salesperson, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult if the sort of the base level of effort and volume isn't there. It's very difficult to then learn how to get better. And I mean, so I, it, it, I would typically say, I mean, there's some debate about this among sales circles about whether you know, you'd rather have like somebody that's really hustles and teach them the, the sort of the finer selling skills versus like taking somebody that like really has good selling skills and then amping up their activity levels. Mm, um, it's a yeah. little bit of a, you know, a, 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 a a chicken or egg type of situation. But I think in general, the place to start is with high levels of activity. And then if you're just, if you're open-minded and you're curious and you want to make things better, like you will eventually figure out how to make this very dissatisfying funnel, um, you know, work yeah. better for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the questions that I had for you really is obviously we've seen a lot of change in, in how people do business. Now there's, so many people are going into the online space or buyer behavior is different, different trends in the market post COVID. What would you say are some of the biggest buyer behaviors changing with the recent global trends and post pandemic consumers? Yeah. Well, one, one that we see is the use of the phone is a lot different than it used to be. Like I remember my first sales job, a big part of it was, Okay, well, you're going to call into the switchboard and you're like, figure out how to get to the right person. And you're going to, you know, work your, you know, figure out how to get the numbers. You're going to call them first thing in the morning. And there are all these tabs, there are whole books, you know, written about um, these tactics. And, you know, what's happened with, you know, with, with sort of especially the first phase of COVID where everybody was at home is that office phones were really not getting used. And then what people figured out for a lot of companies is like, 
I actually don't need a phone. Like there's no point having an office phone because I communicate with people on Zoom or Slack or, you know, whatever it ends up being. Like we're not really calling each other. Or if I'm calling you, I'm calling you on your cell phone or we're texting or using WhatsApp or, or something like that. And so the many sales processes that were based on phone numbers got a lot more difficult um, with, the, with the exception of businesses that had to answer the phone as part of what they do. So you think about like a restaurant is like still answering the phone. And so if you're selling in a restaurant, it's like phone is probably still a good bet for you. But if you're trying to sell security software to a chief information officer at a, at a tech company, like good luck with that. Like I think that is going to have a very low probability of success. And so then, you know, if you so if you're if you're trying to have a conversation, you know, you might end up getting somebody's cell phone, but cell phones have much better countermeasures than the office phone does, right? Because like maybe you get caller ID on your office phone, but like you probably don't recognize it. Um, and you might even be more likely to pick it up versus, you know, like with a cell phone, you can put somebody through screening, get a lot more information. And then there's sort of this crowdsource notion of you know, spam and, and uh, scams and all that type of stuff. And so you really got to be, a, I think, a much more judicious um, with your use of phone, particularly if you're start, if you're calling mobile numbers. Um, and so I think that's, that's a big change. I mean, I think the other, you, I mean, we're definitely seeing people using um, various social channels as a bigger part of the, uh, certainly the top of the funnel. And I think even um, you know, further on to uh, to various selling processes. Those are those are a couple um, that we've seen. Yeah, and this is this is something that I've only recently, in the last couple of weeks, realized. Is you know, I was focusing a lot on Instagram because that was an area that I already had a large audience. And there's so much. It's amazing how quickly a platform can change and how your uh, how your reach can change based on how that platform changes their algorithms, right? And for example, on Instagram, it originally was a photo sharing app where people would, photographers would share their photos. And then it turned into sort of the second gen of Facebook. Now it's trying to be more like TikTok with its videos. And if you're not staying current with those audiences, then you get lost in the crowd. And one of the things that I I realized quite recently is that LinkedIn is a totally different market for that that 1% of users, active users of LinkedIn actually post once a week. So your ability to reach your audience is much higher on that platform. But they also want to encourage engagement um, from a genuine you know, commenting and sharing uh, perspective. So they really emphasize that with their algorithm. But one thing that really stuck out for me when I was uh, hearing about this recently is that email marketing is actually coming back in. And it's really taking... Uh, taking back its original roots, because I know sort of, you know, maybe seven to 10 years ago, email marketing was a big thing. And then social platforms took over. And now we're coming back to email lists, because as the as the business owner, you actually own your email list. So you can take it with you wherever platform you go. Whereas if anything happens on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook, they own all the rights to your account. So they can shut your account down at any time. And and then all of your contacts are gone. So have you had much experience with um, with LinkedIn as a platform or 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 email as a system that you think either one of those is better or worse or any ins- insight there? Yeah, well, 
I mean, I guess, you know, when you were saying that, you know, I I don't have the jawline for TikTok, but my TikTok friends basically tell me like, really what you want to do on TikTok is get your audience somewhere else because you don't really own your audience on TikTok. And it's like, as you say, all these platforms have their own nuances. And LinkedIn, I think you're right, like the ability to get organic reach on LinkedIn for people that um, are trying to reach that audience is is pretty good. Um, You know, we we use it a little bit. I wouldn't say I'm like... uh, uh, a prolific LinkedIn poster, but I, I do, I do a bit there. Um, and you know, for people that are selling, um, it, there, there are some interesting tactics, you know, I think available there where if you, if there's someone that you're trying to reach that is, that is an active LinkedIn poster, a great way to start to interact with that person is by making thoughtful comments on their posts because most likely they're reading it or someone that is in their orbit. Um, if they're really big, um, is reading it. And so that you can start to get some name recognition versus like bombing somebody in their, in their in-mail saying like, Oh, we have a similar network. Like let's connect or like, Oh, like, wouldn't you want to hear about this offer? Well, I have like 5,000 of those every day that comes in and there's no way I'm reading it. Well, if I do read it, like there's no way I'm going to act on that. But if there's somebody that, you know, has been in my comments and has, has sort of been thoughtful over a period of time and I have some sense, like, it, it's not a guarantee that I'll respond, but it's much more likely that I'll respond um, to, to somebody like that. Um, that's it's sort of top line. So I think there there are some there are some abilities there to sort of um, to to make some inroads. And and yeah, the email lists are you know continue to be powerful. I mean, you know, we have a lot of users send a lot of emails, and they they have still pretty good success with it. I mean, the the um, uh, you know the 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 death of email has long been foretold, and, and we haven't really seen it yet. Now, I do believe that quality has to go up a lot. Like it's very difficult to um, cut through the noise with like really crappy spammy emails that that aren't personalized. At least if you're selling to an individual, um, you know the 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 filters in Gmail and the filters in Outlook continue to get better and better. And so, like if you're really you know, sort of sometimes we call it a moronic spammer. If you're really that person, um, it is it is sort of difficult. But if you're if you're delivering value in your emails, and particularly if you're delivering value in emails that are somewhat personalized, like you can't you can still definitely stand out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the the biggest thing with emails is, and, and with LinkedIn messages, you sort of hit the nail on the head there when it comes to you might get a new connection and the first thing they try and do is sell you something, right? Or all of a sudden you don't, you're, you never hear from a particular person on email. And then the first email that you get is them selling a new course or a new product or a new service or something. And, and immediately it gives this sort of icky sales feeling where you're just, you don't even want to reply. You know, you don't reply to the messages on LinkedIn because you know, it's either a spam message or, or whatever they're paying for the premium, um, the premium account. But when you do genuinely engage and start giving feedback on a particular post or, or sharing their content because you find it valuable, I think you're much more likely to have that genuine engagement with that person because then they feel like you're an actual real person as well, right? When it comes to email marketing, is there any particular strategy that you think is, uh, that works well in, when it comes to sales? Yeah, there. I mean, this is this is sort of the sort of thing that's all that's also sort of constantly changing. But I think one one thing that's different now versus say like seven or eight years ago 
seven or eight years ago, if you put together an email campaign and a tool like Yesware or something similar, there's a good chance if you did it, if you did a pretty good job with personalization that no one would ever realize that they're in a campaign. Um, and these days, I think so many people expect that they're in, an, particularly corporate buyers um, of any sort of level, like they, the immediate expectation is like, oh, I'm talking to a machine. And mm-hmm. I, the, to me, the, the hack that works well these days is to basically make sure that with that first email that you're going to send to somebody that they somehow know that you gave it some personal thought and that it's not yeah. just you behind the machine. Then there's video tools that help with this. But I think, you know, even just a thoughtful email that shows that like you did your homework and you're going to deliver some value and you're going to prove to this person that you're not, they're not getting the same email that the other thousand people got is, is a big differentiator. And it's, it's stunning to me um, how many emails still come through with like virtually no personalization or like no thoughtful personalization. And when you get the one that stands out, you're like, Oh, okay. That's, you know, like you, you may, you still may or may not respond, but it's like, you at least thought about it versus like, you know, delete spam, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. 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 I think when you read an email that has voice, that sounds like more like a conversation to me, those are the most appealing ones. It sounds like you're listening to the, especially if you know the person, it sounds like you're listening to them talk, right? As opposed to just sort of the technical jargon blurted out on a, on a white page. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think, you know, that like the, the bar to show that you have done a little bit of homework, like actually isn't that big um, in a lot of cases. Yeah. It's just like, doing it and then sort of proving that you've done it, um, I think can separate you from, you know, the people that are like, all right, I'm going to, I've downloaded this list of a thousand people and I've mail merged it and I've blasted it out. Like, you know, that your, your, your mileage may vary on that one. Yeah, definitely. So as, as somebody who has a wealth of experience with sales, what would you say some of your biggest lessons in sales? Now we obviously touched on the rejection piece, what are some of the other biggest lessons that you've learned from being a sales leader in such large organizations with so many people? Well, I, I mean, some of the best advice I ever got in selling was, um, I think in my first job, or we visited a, a, a customer who was a ran a big sales organization. He was like, you know, yeah, God gave you two, two ears and one mouth for a reason, um, where I think, you know, list, your ability to listen and ask questions and really try to figure out what the customer's business needs are, and then be able to express how your um, service or, or product helps. It's like that's really what you know where the where the magic of, of sales is, and the the people that can master that are the ones that I find are the best. It's not like the stereotypical like I'm going to barge into every you know like you know never take no for an answer barge into any like that. There are important aspects of that, but to me, the ones that really rise to the top over time are the ones that. Uh, are really the best at, at asking questions, um, and so I think when you when you think about scaling organizations, you know it's a it's a similar type of process where you know you've really got to be thoughtful about how the machine is working and like what's working, what's not working. Can we experiment our way to success? Like, do we have the right comp plans in place? Do we have the right people? Do we have the right territory structures? Do we have the right like there, there's there's a lot uh, there's quite a lot to that, and you know there's entire you know, um, many books and courses that you can read about sales operations and how to grow a team, but it's, it's, it's a very, can become a very technical endeavor very quickly and increasingly, especially in the modern business where sales now throws off so much more data than it used to. It's a, it's a very quantitative, um, 
exercise and, and when you're really trying to, to scale a team. Yeah. And I think what you said there about leadership and, and asking questions is a really big one because whether it's regarding sales or as a sales team leader, asking questions even to your subordinates or your staff to get a better understanding of maybe what roadblocks they're running into when it comes to their sales initiatives, right? So it's as opposed to telling, we're asking. The two, two ears, one mouth uh, analogy is, is one that I really, really like. Heard that many times before. And it's something that is so easy to forget. You know, you can jump on a call with somebody and they're immediately selling to you something that they've done. They don't know anything about you. They don't know what you need. They don't know anything about your business or, or uh, you know, what you do. And they immediately just jump into solution mode. And I think that that's one of the things that we've been so accustomed to being on the, you know, on the receiving end, we're sort of used to getting that. Um, so the ones that do do a really good job of sales, as you said, are the ones that are asking really great, great questions and opening up and and then when they are getting those responses, using the exact language that that prospect is using in their problems as the solution. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I often recommend uh, for new salespeople to go read Spin Selling, which is the uh, Neil Rackham's kind of one of the original. Uh, and there's, there, you know, I've seen many iterations of that now. Um, you know, whether it's uh, people sort of describing their process on YouTube or different books, but like to like that to me is still one of the one of the real foundational books and, and based on a lot of research about how to really ask a series of questions to, to progress a sales cycle. Mm, I'll have to check that out and we'll definitely put the link for the Amazon link for that. So it's called spin selling. Is there any other processes that you can, that you can suggest any, you know, anything that can sort of remove these sales roadblocks for people that are, you know, in their first one to three years of business, because that's a large part of my audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's, um, there's no magic to it. I mean, I guess I would encourage people to really try to do it themselves, to understand it as best they can. But at some point, if you, if you really can't do it for whatever reason, and like you just, you, know, you can't get past these sort of prospecting barriers, there are, you know, an increasing number of services that sort of specialize in demand generation for you. And so I think instead of you, um, you know, continually banging your head against the wall over some point, like you may eventually try to look for, and, and they go by various names, but, you know, outsource business development, sometimes the, the uh, abbreviations that are used, at least in tech are BDR, SDR, but you can sort of go to a company that says, hey, here's what I do. I need help, you know, delivering leads into my funnel. Can you help mm -hmm. me with that? And through, you know, marketing and sales tactics, they will then, they'll understand your business, try to deliver leads to you, I think is, 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 a, is a worthy way to um, try to get some traction after you've at least tried to do, at least made sort of the first effort to do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think doing it yourself and really learning, as we said, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, it's an, the numbers game aspect of trial and error, seeing what works and being okay with receiving a no and learning that that's part of the process. And you know, what didn't go well. Okay. And then when you do get a yes, what did go well in that, that didn't go well in the no. Yeah. Right. And, and maybe it's an audience thing. Maybe you're not in the right niche. Maybe you're not uh, communicating using language that's in layman's terms so that the person can even understand what you're selling. Right. There's so many variables, I think that, uh, that we learn from when we go through this process ourselves. 
and then tailoring it really to our business because everybody's business and everybody's product or service is unique. So there's no sort of one cookie cutter strategy that'll work for everybody. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this has been such an amazing podcast. Uh, there has been so much information in terms of what people can do, some of the mindset stuff around rejection. Is there anything else that you wanted to add to the new business owner out there or somebody that is working in maybe a new role in the corporate world about how they can improve their sales process or strategy? Well, I guess I'm, I, you know, I'm biased, but I'm generally an advocate towards, you know, getting some sort of tech into your process um, that'll help you, you know, save time and, and scale and, and learn a little bit faster. And I mean, yes, or is one of those, there's many others um, that you can choose um, as part of that. But I think, you know, most, most entrepreneurs are going to be, you know, as you, as you mentioned earlier, they're going to be doing a decent amount of selling from their inbox or from their phone. And so I think, you know, try to look for tools that uh, that can help you be more productive and better there. I think, you know, they're not that expensive these days and, and that can, that can really help. Yeah. Especially, I guess, when tracking prospects, so, you know, when follow-ups are required and things like that and who you reached out to and when, as opposed to just jotting it down on pen and paper, like a lot of people still do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So embracing that new technology. Well, Joel, this has been so great. Thank you so much for joining me. Is there any last words that you wanted to say to the audience about where they can connect connect with you if they wanted to learn more about what you do or or reach out? Yeah, I mean, a, a few options. Um, uh, Yesroar.com, we've got uh, a blog that has, we've been writing sales content for many, many years. So there's a lot of good content there that um, is all free that I'd encourage people to, to, to take a look at. And, you know, if you want to try Yesroar, you can also do that for free. We have a free tier. You can use it, you know, forever. Um, and, uh, I also have a sales podcast. If that's of interest, you can go to yesword.com forward slash podcast. We call it the hard sell and we're about to launch season two. Um, some pretty interesting, and I think pretty interesting, like it's mostly from a more of a managerial entrepreneurial type of aspect. So that might be interesting. And, uh, if you want to be in touch, you know, the easiest way is the old school way, probably, uh, Jay Stevenson at yesword.com. Perfect. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'll be definitely checking out your blog. That's, that's great. This is definitely an area that I know that is uh, something that I want to focus on in 2023 for my business. So thank you so much for joining me and we'll see you next time. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And if you love this episode, please share it to your Instagram story and tag me at sandra.m.joe. I would be forever grateful if you left me a five-star review and sent it to a friend so that I can reach as many people as possible. For more information on my financial coaching and how we can work together, check out my website at sandrajoe.com. And until next time, have a great day and go make that money, honey. 